everybody, and welcome back to the Garage Gym PT Podcast. Sitting with you, as always, you got Lou Follenkamp and you got David Farwick. What's up, guys? Hope you guys are having a good morning, uh, you know, preparing for the 4th of July. Um, you know, Dave and I are going to enjoy our coffee this morning, and we're going to talk to you guys a little bit about modalities. Um. <laughs> yeah, so, I, I um, think uh, the most important thing is to just kind of figure out where they where they fit and like what rolls in versus what rolls out and why you would use it because obviously one modality is not going to apply to everything and modalities do not inherently fix your problem bingo bingo so like putting your whole treatment time as a clinician into modalities um it's it's you only have so much time with each patient per week and to be like just diving headfirst into you know the modality train all the time uh, there's a time and place for them. So you want to make sure that you're doing your due diligence, you're using your clinical decision-making, and uh, you're using them appropriately. Yeah, and let's just assume that a treatment time can last anywhere from, let's say, 45 to 75 minutes, depending on the level. Um, mm -hmm. I I would probably argue that anything above 15, 20 minutes modality wise is way too much and that you're not getting the full benefit of the treatment time there. You know, obviously you have some people that mm -hmm. are exceptions outside of this, but uh, I would say your general goal is to get people phasing away from them or lessening the dosage. And once again, leaning more into active modalities such as exercise i agree i think sometimes they almost create dependency within the patient where like i've had people who are referred to me because of the dry needling and that's the only thing they want and it's like you have to have that conversation about you know it, it's a great adjunct to treatment it's not the treatment um and then at the end of the day we have to have a big talk about like strength and stable basically stabilization and why that's going to lead you to more I guess, longevity as opposed to like that immediate relief. Um, yeah. It, one of my favorite taglines is the first word in physical therapy is what? Physical. Yep. So that should within itself kind of tell you what you're going to do. Mm -hmm. um, now that, that, those, those patients to me are also kind of like red flags because they're kind of going to, they're going to buck the uh, recovery model solely onto your shoulders despite the fact that you get to see him for two hours a week. So I, mm -hmm. I don't know, the education of what to be expected from a modality standpoint is probably most important. Like the global scheme of things, once again, we, we look at what's most effective, uh, targeted therapeutic exercise far and away uh, exceeds any modality that you can choose and the results aren't even close ever nor will they ever be yeah it's you can oh man that that could even be a can of worms for another day i mean therapeutic exercise in a whole i mean most patients don't want to do it let's be honest they come in you're like you want me to do what i have to do how many sets of and i have to lift what sure. and then at the end of the day it's like this is this is what will get you better this is proven on how many levels that this is what's going to make you better yeah um, Another way to phrase this is like you have your active and your passive buckets 
everything mm -hmm. passive is meant to help you do the stuff in the active bucket. And like, that's it. It doesn't Bingo. solve your issue, but it does allow you a transient window to exercise with less perception of pain or less restriction. Bingo. Bingo. So go, going back to that like model, you know, I, I think that modalities are probably best utilized after a warm up at the beginning of the session to downregulate your pain to put you in a better spot to exercise without compensation. Exactly. That that lessened pain window, for example, or that or maybe it's not pain, maybe it's more mobility or um, maybe even awareness coordination, whatever you need. So yep. let's let's put a definition then to to modalities and Dave. Um, so like I, what I have written down here is that basically in modalities, um, in the context of PT, um, they refer to a diverse range of treatment techniques that are utilized to promote healing, relief pain, and enhance functional abilities. Um, and then these can vary either way, basically from a specialized piece of equipment to tools, um, or to a specific application of said equipment yeah to, to me they kind of like also kind of fall by two or three definitions mm -hmm. uh, one it's passive and it's being done to you for the most part uh, and then two you're utilizing it to trick the nervous system into a transient window where you can then move more freely or three you're trying to cause inflammation to promote a healing response I like that a lot. It's a great addition. Uh, so I guess then after the definition, let's just go through some commonly used ones in the physical therapy world. Uh, and I'll list them all off and then we can kind of go and give our, our little spiels about each one. Uh, but in particular today, let's talk about, you know, the use of heat therapy, cold or cryotherapy, electrical stimulation, ultrasound therapy. <laughs> yeah, th thanks, Maya. <laughs> um aquatic therapy dry needling hey, there you go aquatic therapy yeah <laughs> uh cup, cupping or uh, myofascial decompression uh instrument assisted soft tissue mobilization and then manual therapy yeah so and I, and I think this may even be like best to kind of go by uh what's kind of ruled out versus like old age new age type stuff so that way we can kind of just kind of nix some of this stuff from the start. Because mm -hmm. these are the ones that are most commonly used, but just because they're the most common doesn't necessarily mean that they're the most effective or even supported still by literature. Yep. So, so starting it off, uh, where you yeah. say Dave? Heat, heat and cold contrast. This is kind of, this is getting to be dinosaur stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, the guy in uh, the Rice Method actually removed cold therapy from his entire methodology because it's shown to decrease incidence of blood flow and inflammation. And over a long-term treatment, these are both shown to be positive things. So it's, mm -hmm. like, uh, it's like missing an incidence for recovery, right? So the more cold that you throw on it, the less opportunity there is for blood flow the slower your recovery is, you know, you kind of use like the twin analogy here. If you had a twin, mm -hmm. you had the same environment and you both had an ACL tear. One of you leans into cold therapy, the other avoids it. 
probably the guy who avoids it's going to recover some measure faster. Mm -hmm. I agree. I think that that's sometimes um, the first thing I hear out of my injured athletes is, you know, I've been elevating it, I've been icing it, and I'm like, oh, okay. I would actually rather them compress it yep. as opposed to icing it. Like put on a compression sock, put on a – like even compression shirts or, or pants. Bingo. The, re the would... rest, rest of that uh, rice method holds uh, – elevation and compression seems to be the, the holy grail for reducing swelling. Mm -hmm. And then obviously like – I mean, as, as time's gone on, I mean, ice has its place here and there. I mean, I mean, they're starting to see a lot of different research coming out on cryotherapy and, you know, cold water immersion. But I mean, that, that could even be a topic for another day. Yeah, um, that's, kind of, that's kind of a different bucket, too. Um, yeah. So don't confuse those two things. Yeah. Uh, contrast therapy for recovery is very different than what we're talking about right now. Mm -hmm. uh, I think this one kind of ticks me off too because I remember that we would used to throw uh, <laughs> ice on after a workout session for people, and it's like literally the worst thing you could do. Yeah, I remember like that kind of growing up, being like a PTA. Immediately, like you would have whatever, then you would just like go sit in said room for ten minutes with ice on it, and it's just like couldn't have missed the mark worse. <laughs> we just stimulated all this blood flow. Let's completely reduce it. Yep. Let's, yep. Let's nullify this entire training session by throwing ice on it. Yep. So then moving on to the next one here, Dave, let's go into electrical stimulation. All right. So for those of you who don't know what electrical stimulation is, it's basically where we place electrodes on the area of the, basically the affected area. Um, assuming there are no open wounds, et cetera, we clear the area. Um, this can also help managing pain, stimulate muscle contractions, and then also promote tissue healing, depending on what settings you're using. Um, now, in the very beginning of my career, I used to use this quite a bit. Now, I, I really don't get into it as much as I used to. I mean, it still has its place, like post-surgery, um, just for like, you know, symptom management, but Usually with my athletes, I'm not really using this a whole bunch unless it's like an acute injury where like I need to just stimulate fluid movement. Then I'll use like maybe a TENS or an interferential current here and there. But um, I honestly don't get into this too much anymore. Yeah, the only, the only spot that this really sticks in for me. Now we need to talk about it like later on with the combination of dry needling. But mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's that post-op person who's having trouble with quad activation, maybe a shoulder. They can't feel like their posterior rotator cuff or something. Um, but even then, I'm more liable to talk them into needling the area. Because of like, uh, what you're talking about like layers of tissue here. This one's going to be the least effective one compared to what you can do with needles. So you're getting much more of like a surface level stimulation rather than an entire muscular contraction. So this is. Yeah, it's it's useful, but depends on how you deliver it. I agree. I think I, you know the deeper you have to go through, some people who and some people have a lot more adipose tissue uh, to go through. So if you have to use like that Russian stimulation, 
you have that post-op total knee and you have to really crank up that to an uncomfortable level with the Russian stem, it's almost more inhibitory, I feel like, than it is like facilitatory with like getting that quad contraction because you're just putting them in so much pain. Um, right. So I, I definitely like to get like the approval from like a surgeon on like what when I can start utilizing the needles. I and mean, we'll get into this later on too when we talk about it. Um, but I think a deeper application of this modality is more effective. Yep. More layers Obviously of tissue you can touch, the uh, the better it's going to be. Bingo. Bingo. Um, I definitely think that, you know, with some of my more chronic pain patients, um, I actually like to use, like, consistent TENS units. Um, so, like, having the TENS unit on the affected area and having them move with the TENS unit going, and then they kind of get less of that. It's like the the pain gate theory, right? You can kind of reduce that that pain response so that they can actually learn to move a little bit more. Um, but yeah. again, not as often as I would probably say I'd like to, but you only get two hours every week. Yeah. And that, that can be valuable because the whole idea is that you are, you're using a track to the brain uh, where vibration travels. So the the thought behind this is that if you can put vibration on it, so this is why like a massage gun would work it actually beats the pain signal. So you get a break in the pain cycle. And that's much more of like where you're using that pain gate theory as like a practical application. Mm -hmm. So you're, you're doing something to kind of like, for lack of a better way to describe it, it's a neurological reset or a neurological break in that pain Bingo. cycle. Bingo. Bingo. But um, this is not the most effective way to do it. We'll talk about it. <laughs> down the list here <laughs> on we go uh so the next one i mean gosh do i even have to say it uh Ooh. ultras throw these in the trash <laughs> uh ultrasound therapy um man it really doesn't have a whole lot of research supporting it um honestly you, you, there's so many different memes out there nowadays where they just <laughs> it's like look here's all the research that supports the use of ultrasound and it's someone like pointing to a bookshelf and the bookshelf's completely empty. Uh, yeah, I'm even um, trying to think about one redeeming quality for it. Maybe tendons. Only Maybe. thing I ever used it for would be like a hot facet joint, like just super sensitive facet joint. Um, and yeah, maybe like the Pezzan Serene and that would be it. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe chronic Achilles tendonitis. I, I, I don't know. But once again, if I have my choice in this, it's like number 12 out of 11. <laughs> out of 11? Yeah, so. <laughs> I don't know. I'm, that was I'm pretty good. I'm throwing this sucker in the trash. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, it's, not, it's just not, it's not effective. And if your therapist is going to use it, I mean, talk to them about it. I mean, don't just dismiss them right away with it. Um, but, you know, have the talk about it. Like, hey, I listened to the Garage PT podcast. They said, this is trash. Why are we using this? Or maybe you actually like it and you think it helps you. This could be a placebo thing. I don't, I don't know, but not my choice, but it is what it is. Oh, not a good one. Not a good one. There was even a time where... Uh, who was it? I was at, uh, I can't remember where I was. 
I was either down in Tennessee or I was down in Dallas and there's another PT student with me and they had done, done the ultrasound, you know, air quotes, uh, but realized after the treatment that they hadn't even turned it on and the patient popped up off the table and they were like, this feels fantastic. And they were like, yeah, because they had asked them how much time was left on the treatment and they couldn't give them an answer. It never got turned on. I was like, oh God. That's awesome. yeah, I was like, okay, I guess it quote unquote worked. Right. You perceive something's being done. It is. Uh, but moving on to the next one, because we got a few to go through here today. Um, so aquatic therapy. So basically you're, you're working out in a, in a therapeutic temperature pool. Um, what that is specifically, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head, but basically just using the resistance of the water, the buoyancy of the water, uh, just provides that unique environment for patients. In my experience, my chronic pain patients have loved this. Uh, just gives them an environment where they can move and they can kind of get a little bit of pain relief and strengthening at the same time. Um, yeah, this is kind of a small chunk in my rehab if I were to use it at all. Yeah. From, from like a standpoint, guys, so the what it really does is it reduces the weight through the joints, which also reduces the stress to the joints, which also blunts the effect of training. So I think mm-hmm. like maybe where this kind of fits in is like that person who's trying to rush your ACL back to play where you kind of have to figure out how to run and like, you know, getting some early weight bearing. Um, other than that, push comes to shove. I'm, I'm really trying to get people to lean into weight bearing. Yeah, unless you have like that really just deconditioned um, patient who just can't tolerate land exercises. So getting in the water is kind of like that entry point. But then as soon as they develop a certain baseline of strength and they can tolerate that, get them out of the water. Yeah. Um, I mean, like there's there's some aerobic stuff that you can pay me talk about, but like, you know, gravity is a great thing, guys. Use it if you can. Yeah. This is technically a... I would even call it like a, a regression in physiology. How so? Well, you're taking a percentage of your body weight. So like all of the, right, like a osteoporosis, osteopenia, oh, all of the yeah. stress that you get put through there to try to create your stress strain curve is just mm-hmm. much less. Wolf's law. Yep, exactly. Bingo. Uh, but it can be a good entry point. It True. just, quite honestly, it's just cumbersome and very hard to do. Yeah. So the, the bang is not really worth your buck here. Yeah. Not to mention all the money you'll probably be spending in pool maintenance. Yeah. That's I mean, just, I don't know. If, if they have it in their backyard and they want to do it, tell them to do it, but explain that probably not as effective as what you guys are doing at the clinic. That's very true. Uh, so, Holy cow, just looked at what time it was. Uh, so moving on to the, the next one here, uh, dry needling. Okay, so dry needling is basically, it's a technique where needles are inserted into a trigger point or a tight muscle band, um, which is used then to help alleviate pain and really improve the muscle's function. Um, how do I put it? You're targeting those myofascial trigger points, right? Um, into that hyper irritable spot so that you can help reduce that, downregulate that area, and then help to improve 
like like there's that small window then where you can have that person function and help to gain further from whatever exercises you have planned for them. Uh, I absolutely, I love this one. Out of all the ones that we have listed here, this one's probably my favorite. Um, just in the simple fact that you can create such a small change or such a large change in such a small amount of time. Um, yeah, I like this with like combination of a, a like a large manipulation. Yeah. These are probably my two favorite things that are the most effective. Uh, to me, this is a person where they can like pinpoint a spot and they say, this is what's irritated. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of like, you can kind of start the keyhole where you have issues. Um, and I'm probably ruling this much more in the muscular system, right? So the manipulation touches the skeletal system. This would touch the muscular system. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely has some value too for stirring up inflammation. Uh, especially yeah. if you're going to use like your pecking technique or uh, try to get some like uh, jumps out of the trigger point, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Stimulating uh, healing yeah. response. Histoning. Sorry, that's kind of what I was looking for there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think your big, your big bang for your buck here is the combination of this with the E-STEM. Yes. Right? So there, there's been like, Great research to show that, like, if you needle a certain group, even though technically you're fatiguing the muscle by creating stim with it, you're also increasing its uh, EMG or muscle activation, however you want to phrase that, afterwards. Mm -hmm. Therefore, the, the session can be more effective as a result. Mm -hmm. And then kind of backtracking a little bit on what we talked about in the very beginning. This is just an adjunct to your treatment. This should never be the sole application of your treatment for that day. Yeah. If you're going to utilize that needling technique, whatever you're trying to do with the deep stimulation, you need to have lined up at least a few exercises that you want them to be able to perform after that application. Yep. If you don't use that window, then it's ineffective. This is like back to the chiropractor thing, like where you'll see people for years and years and years. And the reason they never get better is because they lack the loading after the manipulation. All right. So just doing this and then releasing somebody to the streets creates dependency and you're not doing your job. Bingo. Bingo. Just want to make that clear to people who absolutely love dry needling that it is fantastic. And the fact that it can create so much change, but then you as a clinician need to be effective in your treatment choices and then also your, your, your manual therapy after that. Um, yep. Do it and use it. Bingo. Um, I think that as I've gotten more and more into the dry needling um, side of things, um, I think that when you can really zone in on that spot and get it to almost find like, what is the, the path of least resistance with this? Because I, I used to go through 10, 15 needles in a time, like when I first started needling. Now at the most, I maybe only use like, maybe three to four yeah i'm trying to zone in on those spots mine's four to eight and it's usually patient directed mm -hmm. I'm, not, I'm not a big fan of the quote-unquote protocol stuff because it doesn't always touch what's the issue right this is like this is very specific and if you're going by protocol you you might miss the spot right so go. like a lot of times this is like once again when you're looking at the body this is a this is a keyhole this isn't like the entire system yeah and how many times do you see like pictures of people on social media who have just like 
needles all over the place and they're just sitting there and it's like is this a dry needling technique or are you trying to do a you know an acupuncture technique um also, how, how do you know what needles creating that change too and from like a patient perspective you're going to lose rapport with them because you're sticking them full of needles like a pin cushion but like try to really get it like super specific effective and done like you don't need to cause more pain this is like kind of a pedestal moment here but you know pt doesn't stand for pain and torture so you don't have to hurt people to get them better bingo choose the path of least resistance that's going to have the biggest effect and then just move on actually little little shout out to uh john andy and doug they they coined this term uh the needle sniper ever heard that i like it just hey man one one and done get out of there exactly i i heard that from them and i i have been sold ever since because it just makes so sense like so much sense in the fact that you're trying to be as precise and effective and safe as possible to hit the affected area create the change and then get them right into the exercises like it, it just makes so much sense yeah I, and like maybe there's like a loophole here meaning like once again that post-op thing uh <laughs> I'll do it ASAP as long as it's away from the incision and try mm -hmm. to get as many needles in the VMO as I can to try to get all the leads to turn that thing back on. But that's a very, a very specific spot, right? Like that's not, mm -hmm. that's not all the time. Makes sense. But usually but... less is better. Um, you do want to try to go as deep as possible. Like that is something that's definitely in the research as well. So yeah, depending usually, on location, right? Deeper is usually better. Obviously, not in the lung field. But <laughs> That's what I was waiting for you to say. But if you can get more of the quad mass, <laughs> this is obviously going to be very advantageous for you. Uh, but yeah, I I think we can all agree that we we like that one. Agreed. But we'll we'll get off our dry needling soapbox here, and we'll move on to the next one. Um, so cupping, or I've heard it now, multiple names, uh, myofascial decompression. Um, basically it's where they take the cups, you're creating the vacuum effect, uh, it helps with reducing muscle tension, improving blood flow, you know, that healing response. Um, really it's, it, I think it's the only technique I've seen that provides a decompression to the tissue. Um, unless you have another one off offhand that you know of dave i mean there's like manual techniques like skin rolling but that's kind of yeah 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 skin rolling i mean that kind of fits in with the manual we'll get to that later right um but i like using the cupping for really just promoting mobility bringing blood flow to the area if especially if it's like an irritated area but like one of the areas i love to do this the most through is probably the lats just because the area is so big it covers such a huge distance um, I like to bring a lot of blood flow to that area and then I help them train that area just so that they can bring flexibility and strength to it. I mean, it covers such a huge area. I want them to be strong at length overhead and then also at the side when they need to engage it for say like a deadlift. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. This one for me is kind of like in between. I like mm -hmm. it for like a thrower shoulder just because like it just kind of kind of feels good if you ever like had that like post pitching soreness like this is just like something that kind of helps down regulate that uh yeah i agree 
I don't know. I, I kind of have like a weird line in the sand with this one because it's super cumbersome, takes up a lot of time, and then there's a ton of cleanup. So I just don't think it's like super fast and effective. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know. It's sometimes what I'll do if I have them like warming up on like the UBE or like a upper body ergometer uh, or a bike. Sometimes I'll throw like cups on so they can get like cupping with movement or even just like if they're going through their stretches, putting a cup on and getting them moving with the cup. Um, kind of two birds, one stone. And then while they're stretching or continuing their warm up, I'll take the cups off, clean them, call them a day. But yeah. again, depends on the person. It's very person dependent. Yeah. And this is like a request thing for me, to be honest really i'm usually not going to volunteer this i'd rather i'd rather do the one that we're going to talk about next okay when push comes to shove and if you guys want to hear anything more on any of these specific modalities let us know and dave and i will do a deep dive on these uh but moving on to the next one we're going to go into instrument assisted uh soft tissue mobilization which basically is just taking a tool uh it's specifically designed for an area um, and basically it's, it's using a, a controlled pressure to move or scrape through, um, the affected area, either muscle, tendon, ligaments, uh, it helps to improve blood flow, promote tissue healing, and then can also help like desensitize the area. Um, like that, that healing touch, right. Therapeutic yep. touch. Uh, there's also synonymous with like uh, scraping and like Gushaw. If any guys are like uh, familiar with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a much bigger fan of this one. Probably for like a number of reasons. I think it just does a better idea of uh, causing the inflammation. Obviously, I'm rolling this in a ton with like muscle strains, uh, tears. Uh, and like you said, post-op, especially like the large scars, mm-hmm. where you're getting that sensitization. And I explain to people like directly out of surgery, I'm like, hey, I'm starting this as soon as possible because you want to be able to kneel on your knee without having excruciating pain this is like step one in that process mm-hmm. i but agree yeah. with you on that one and yeah, i think is... we can even kind of lo- like link this one in with the next part too, the manual therapy because i mean it is yep. um but uh kind of kind of encompassing these two as one uh, manual therapy which would include you know like joint manipulations or mobilization um it's basically just like a wide array of like hands-on techniques. Uh, this can include soft tissue mobilization, joint mobilization, like I said, joint manipulation. Uh, but it basically just helps to restore joint mobility, reducing the pain, and then optimizing your physical function, just like we talked about with like the dry needling, right? You get that window, you want to work within that window. Yeah. Uh, you remember you're trying to touch two things, so the muscular system and then the skeletal system your manipulation is much more of like the joint level, whereas like you're scraping, needling, massage, et cetera, is touching the muscular system. Uh, mm-hmm. So I still think like your, your big bang for your bucks in this is something that's going to be a large order manipulation, right? So doing something like a general thoracic or lumbar manipulation is always going to be more effective than trying to specifically manipulate one joint because of the nervous system feedback. Yeah, so like they they have they have like test retest studies where like you can manipulate somebody and then after they're immediately stronger the same way that like once you needle them after they're immediately stronger and if you do both there's probably a compound effect Mm -hmm. yeah 
no, I agree. There's, there's so much benefit to these, but again, we want to make sure that you guys are using the correct application. And, you know, as patients, you guys are getting the most bang for your buck from your hours um, that these modalities are being utilized effectively instead of just kind of throwing darts at a wall and see what sticks. Um, I think we could, we could probably dive into a few of these way more in depth. Yeah. I would say like maybe outside of the needling conversation in general, broad is going to be more effective than specific because of the feedback you get to the nervous system. Mm -hmm. um, you'll get more bang for your buck. And even something like just as specific as like manual therapy, like we all talk about like mobilization of the shoulder and like the ways that you can do it. The most effective thing that you can do, at least through research currently is like a long access distraction because you're touching all of the corners of the joint at the same time. Or like with your hip, like tying a band to a rig and doing a long axis distraction from your hip is going to be much better for you in general than a specific direction. Unless you can't carry that direction by the general. Very true. Anything else you wanted to add on our topic for modalities today, Dave? Uh, nope. Let's just hit on the head with a hammer. Don't lean into these and think you're getting better. These help you get better and these help you help yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And then as a clinician, like I said before, I'm going to say it one more time. Um, you need to be utilizing your assessment so that you can identify what's appropriate and what's going to be a nice boost to your already planned treatment of exercises. Yeah. And as a clinician, be effective at these. But once again, the best thing that you can boast is specific targeted exercise. So somebody can be a whiz with their hands and then not address the problem that this person is having. So don't think that getting more of these is going to make you a better clinician. Bingo. Practicing what you preach, loading and understanding how to load people is ultimately what's going to move that needle in the correct direction. Exactly. And then to kind of talk to both of you, uh, patients and clinicians, you know, communicate, you know, you guys need to make sure that you are talking about what the goals are, what concerns or questions you're going to have um, about whatever modalities or exercise prescription you're going to have. Uh, the back and forth communication is what's going to help just build that therapeutic alliance. So that at the end of the day, both of you can one, the therapist can effectively implement their plan, but two, then you have your goals, concerns, and questions out on the table for them so that they can implement that into the plan as well. Um, you know, participate in your therapy. <laughs> don't just, don't just go along for the ride. Yeah. And a lot of times they'll just actually tell you what works best for them too. Exactly. But we hope you guys enjoyed today's episode. We will see you guys in the next one.